0: You crushed it. Good job. (laughs) But hey, it's great to be with you this morning. My name is Tony. I am one of the pastors here. Uh, As a church, we are in the Gospel of Mark. And we started this last week. And as I have been studying the Gospel of Mark over the past month or so, I have realized just how this particular book, this particular gospel is is perfect for how i 'm wired because when I read through the Gospel of Mark, it feels like i 'm kind of browsing the ESPN app on my phone okay i 'm a huge sports fan, and this will make sense a little bit, um, but I never have time to watch all the games that I want to watch uh, so what i usually do in the mornings is I just open the app, I catch up on all the games by watching the two or three minute highlights from the four hour game i didn 't watch so yesterday. I exercised some self-control. I didn't watch eight hours of playoff football. Yes. But I did catch up this morning, right, by watching this a little bit. Um, good games, by the way. You should catch up on those highlights. But, but see, there's four gospel accounts in the New Testament. There's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And while Matthew and Luke and John kind of feel like you're watching the entire football game, the gospel of Mark feels like the highlights, It feels like the best moments, the events in the game that Mark wanted us to see. I mean, this book, if you've read it, if you have kind of followed along with that bookmark at all, you will see that it is action-packed. There is no wasted words. There's no commentary or annoying downtime in between the plays, right? It's just one thing after another. One thing we're going to see in this book is that the gospel writer, Mark, he says the word immediately over 40 times because it's just one thing after another. Last week, uh, we started this series. In the first verses of the book, we saw this big idea introduced that's going to be woven throughout the entire gospel account, and and we're going to see it again this morning. It's this idea of authority. Now, to have authority means that you have power. You have the power to to give orders. You have the power to make decisions or to enforce obedience. And what this gospel does is it challenges us to think about the authority that Jesus should have in our lives— compared to the authority we often give him. Now, that concept of authority isn't unique to the Bible, right? We, we exist in this world where authority is a thing, right? Whether we have it ourselves or we find ourselves under it. In your job or in your family or in certain relationships, you may have authority, right? The, the power to, to make decisions or to enforce obedience. Or, or in those same relationships, you may not have that. You may be under authority. Now, I remember feeling this really powerfully as a teenager. Yeah, some of you teenagers in the room, you may be feeling this right now. Like, you just want to be on your own. You want to go off to school, or you want to start your career, but you're, but you're still under your parents' authority. You're still living at home. Another way we all experience this in our lives is even with with law enforcement, right? If we break the law, if we're going way too fast down 496, newly made 496, uh, the law enforcement have the ability to write us a ticket or, or give us a fine, right? Our lives intersect with authority in various ways. But as we heard last week in Noel's message, we're all united in this desire we have to be at the center of our lives. We want to be the primary decision maker, to have that power, to be the boss. Our hopes and our desires are often the first filter by which we live our lives, by which we make our decisions. Noel told us last week that the book of Mark is an affront to our self-centered culture. And that might make us uncomfortable when we read some of what Jesus does, some of what he says, but that's okay because we're going to see over and over again how our life is best experienced if Jesus is the authority, if he is at the center instead of ourselves. Today, we're going to see this really clearly because in just 18 verses, we're going to see the authority of Jesus revealed in four different episodes, four key moments of the game. And as this happens, we're going to see how people around him respond. So if you have a Bible with you, uh, I'd really encourage you to, uh, if you don't typically bring a Bible with you to to the services, bring a Bible to church this series. Mark it up. Read through the gospel of Mark with us. Uh, If you follow along on your phone, that's fine too. But if you have a Bible with you, we're going to be in Mark chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 16, and we're going to read all the verses today through verse 34. But the first episode, verse 16, says this. As Jesus passed alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, Simon's brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Follow me, Jesus told them, and I will make you fish for people. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. Going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat putting their nets in order. Immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. Okay, so one day, uh, Jesus is just kind of out and about, and he's walking on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. Now, the Sea of Galilee is the largest freshwater lake in Israel. It was really a hub for commercial fishing. Here's a recent picture. Uh, this is the Sea of Galilee. And in recent years, you can kind of see its size there. Uh, but if you were to go north two hours to Houghton Lake, and you doubled the size of Houghton Lake— Okay, that's the size of the Sea of Galilee. You just stretch it out double length and width. It's actually a very similar shape too. And Houghton Lake's actually a fitting description because there's good fishing at Houghton Lake, right? And Sea of Galilee, that was a way a lot of people made their living. They were commercial fishermen. So one day, Jesus is just walking alongside this Sea of Galilee, and he sees two brothers who are fishermen. And they're just today just the at the office, for them, right? They're out. Uh, they, they, they took their boat out. They'd throw out the net. They'd bring in fish and then they would sell it. That was their job, it was their livelihood. But as they're fishing this one day, they see Jesus approach them and he says something to them. He says, Follow me and I will make you fish for people. Now, again, in this Gospel of Mark, this statement Jesus makes feels a little odd. Right? It feels a little, like, out of context. We don't know anything else about this other than what he says. We need more information. Right? Did Jesus know these two men already? Was this their first interaction? Like, what does it mean to follow him? Like, follow him on his walk? Like, uh, how do you fish for people? That just sounds weird, right? Uh, like, but a strategy that we're going to use in this series, because Mark is the highlight reel gospel, right? We're going to fill in other information that other gospel writers have included. So remember, Mark is kind of not as detailed as some of the other ones, but if you read Matthew and Luke and John, it fills in some of the gaps for us. And we actually see in the gospel of John that this wasn't the first time Jesus interacted with these men. Now, in John chapter 1, we find out that Andrew here was a disciple of John the Baptist. We heard about John the Baptist last week. Remember him? He was the guy that wore the camel hair, ate the grasshoppers, (laughs) lived in the woods. Like, that was John the Baptist. And Andrew was a follower of him. And John's whole ministry was about someone who would come after him. He was the forerunner. So one day, Andrew and John the Baptist and some other disciples are standing and they see Jesus. And John the Baptist says, Look, the Lamb of God. That's what John says about Jesus. And we see in that moment, Andrew believes him. We see Andrew go and find his brother Simon. He says, Look, we have found the Messiah. John said it was him. So we see that Andrew and, and Simon, they knew a little bit about Jesus before this interaction here in Mark 16 through 20. And one part about being a disciple in this, in this time and culture, it didn't always mean that you had to leave what you were doing as a career to be a disciple. All right, we saw this with Andrew. Andrew was still going out, had his fishing business, but he considered himself a disciple of John The Baptist. But this one day, as they're at work, they see Jesus, this person they had had seen before, come up and offer them an invitation. He said, Follow me. Now, to be a disciple uh, of a rabbi in this first century culture, it was a great. Honor. And there was a typical process by which this happened. Typically, when you were a younger student, if you excelled in your understanding of the Torah or the Jewish scriptures, then you were kind of set aside as, hey, look, this could be a career option for you. You could become a rabbi yourself. It was kind of the the university route. And what would happen then for these students is they would grow in their memorization of the Jewish scriptures, but then they would find a rabbi to follow. They would, they would go, and they would hear teachers, and then they would say, hey, look, teacher, I would like to follow you. I'd like to become one of your students. And that rabbi then could say yes or no. But if you were accepted as a student, you became a disciple. You modeled your life after that rabbi. You modeled your, your understanding of the law and the Torah after their interpretation. That was the process. But if you think about that, that's not what happened here. It was the opposite These two men were sought out by a rabbi. They were asked, do you want to be a disciple and follow me? Now, we aren't told anything about the education or background of Andrew and Simon, really, in any of the Gospels, but some context clues tell us what they were doing as fishermen. It seems pretty clear that that time had passed for them to even consider following a rabbi. They weren't really the book types. Right? They weren't those who excelled in the classroom in memorizing the law or the Torah. No, they were blue-collar, middle-class fishermen. But on this day, they are invited to something they had never thought they could be, to follow a rabbi as a disciple. But not only any rabbi. The one they had said, we have found the Messiah. I love what Jesus says to them in his invitation. He says, follow me and I will make you fish for people. Jesus was a brilliant teacher. We're going to see this over the next few months and how he taught. That was his ministry. It was a ministry of teaching. But what he does here is he talks to these men in terms that they understand. This is what Andrew and Simon knew. They were going to continue to fish, but they were going to catch something completely different. They were going to fish for people. Now, if you were a commercial fisherman during this time, you knew everything there was to know. You knew when to go out and when to come in, when to let out the nets, what to use as bait, how to keep your equipment in order. You made a living, right? You were the expert. And they knew the feeling of success, bringing in fish, selling it, being able to feed their families with it. And Jesus tells them, you're going to have success in fishing for people. I'm going to teach you how to do this. You're going to help people know what it means to follow me too. There was something about Jesus because we see their reaction here. It says immediately they left their nets and followed him. They didn't have to think about it. Right away, we're in. A little bit further down, Jesus sees another pair of brothers who are fishermen too. This was James and John. They were familiar with Jesus as well. And he offers the same invitation to them. Follow me. And we see for them, this is a family business. Their dad's on the boat. They've got some hired men, so they're pretty successful. But they leave and they follow Jesus. And here we see the first way Jesus reveals his authority. He does so by calling disciples. In just a few words, he stakes a claim on these men's lives. He's like, look, follow me. I'll make you fish for people. And they say yes. The direction of their lives changes in that moment. They give up what their lives used to be about. And they entrust their lives to Jesus as a disciple. When anyone ever does this, when they choose to believe and follow Jesus, they become disciples of him. They're doing the exact same thing. They're putting Jesus at the center of their lives instead of themselves. That's what it means to become a Christian in any time and in any place. Jesus first reveals his authority by inviting people to follow him. Let's keep going. Next verse, verse 21. They went into Capernaum and right away Jesus entered the synagogue on the Sabbath and began to teach. They were astonished at his teaching because he was teaching them as one who had authority and not like the scribes. So again, immediately, right away, Jesus and his four disciples, they head away from where they are, and they go into the city of Capernaum. Now, Capernaum was a city on the northwestern shore of the Sea of Galilee. So it probably wasn't very far from where they were that day. And Capernaum was the hometown of these disciples. I mean, this was a the place they were known. They grew up there. They, they knew the community. And right when they get there, we see, a, in, we see some info in the text that tells us that it was the Sabbath. Now, for us, that may not mean much, but for a Jewish person, that meant a lot. Because Sabbath was a 24-hour period during the week when Jewish people had to stop working. It was part of their law. Even if a job was undone, they stopped. Friday sundown to Saturday sundown was 24 hours where they would rest, they would eat, and they would worship. Very similar today to what we do on Sunday mornings at church. They would go to synagogue. They would hear the scriptures taught. They would worship. They would interact and commune with one another. And what would happen is rabbis would come into the synagogue and they would teach. They would open up the Jewish scriptures and then they would explain what they mean. So this is what happens on this one Sabbath day. Jesus enters the synagogue. This wasn't unique. Uh, This is what he did. But when Jesus opened his mouth, it was much different than when a normal scribe or religious leader spoke. There was something different. We see it in verse 22. They, meaning those who heard it, were astonished at the words Jesus was saying. Other words are astounded or overwhelmed. They couldn't believe what Jesus was saying. And they felt this way because Jesus was teaching as a person who had authority. We see that word in the text again. It was different than what people were used to. The people were used to hearing scribes just read a passage and then speak about the history of it. Or they didn't really speak about it in an authoritative way. But when you notice Jesus teach in other gospel accounts he would say you have heard it said but i say to you jesus taught with power no one had ever taught like him before and this makes sense because a rabbi or a scribe or a priest or a pharisee they didn't have the ability to teach the way jesus did because jesus himself was the living incarnate word of god he was god in the flesh We see this really clearly in John chapter 1, verse 1. This is how the apostle John opens his gospel. He says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were created through him, and apart from him, not one thing was created that has been created. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. That light shines in the darkness, and yet the darkness did not overcome it. And then look at verse 14, what John writes. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We observed His glory, the glory as the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus taught with authority because He was the Word, He was God made flesh. And He revealed His authority when he taught. It astonished people. It amazed them. They couldn't believe what they heard. We see this teaching evoke some interesting responses. And one very interesting response happened in the next verse, verse 23. Look at what it says. Just then, translation, immediately, a man with an unclean spirit was in their synagogue. He cried out, what do you have to do with us? Jesus of Nazareth, have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Jesus rebuked him, saying, be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit threw him into convulsions, shouted with a loud voice and came out of him. They were all amazed. And so they began to ask each other, what is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. At once, the news about him spread throughout the entire vicinity of Galilee. So, a pretty crazy thing happens as Jesus opens his mouth to teach in the synagogue that day. Just then, a man stands up and he yells at Jesus. But notice what he says He says, I know who you are. I know. You're the Holy One of God. This evil spirit recognizes Jesus' true character, his true identity. The evil spirit knew the explanation of Jesus' power. He was the Messiah. He was the one God had sent to conquer him, evil. That's why the spirit reacted this way. That's why the spirit noticed it before anyone else. It was in the presence of the one power that could cast him out forever and we see jesus do this in the very next verse jesus rebukes this spirit with his words and it comes out of the man and and from this we see it's not a back and forth it's not this fight of good and evil like ghostbusters or something right it's not like who's gonna win it's not like that at all jesus says two words And it's gone. Immediately, the spirit leaves. After this happens, we see a similar reaction from the people. They're amazed again. But notice what they say. A new teaching with authority. Again, we see Jesus, God in the flesh, his power revealed. He is in control over creation over good and over evil. He has the ability to rebuke and conquer evil with finality, with a word of his mouth. Right after this, we see his authority revealed one final time when they leave the synagogue. This is verse 29 through 34. As soon as they left the synagogue, so this is Jesus with his first four disciples, They went into Simon and Andrew's house with James and John. Simon, Simon's mother-in-law, was lying in bed with a fever, and they told him about her at once. So he went to her, took her by the hand, and raised her up. The fever left her, and she began to serve them. When evening came after the sun had set, they had brought all to him those who were sick and demon-possessed. The whole town was assembled at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and drove out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. Okay, so Jesus and his disciples, they leave the synagogue. They go back to Simon's house. And when they arrive, they see that Simon's mother-in-law, so his wife's mom, she's lying in bed. She has a fever. She's unable to, to serve them or care for them or show hospitality, which was a really big thing in Jewish culture. But he goes over to her right when he walks in. And he just takes her by the hand. And the fever leaves her immediately. Remember what these disciples had just witnessed. With his words, he rebuked evil. Now, he doesn't even say anything. He holds her hand. And immediately, she's restored to full health. Again, Jesus can decide when these things happen. Right after this. As evening comes, people start showing up at the house. And this makes sense to us, remember? This is the Sabbath day. Friday sundown to Saturday sundown. People weren't able to walk around. They weren't able to to kind of interact. But word had gotten out about what happened that morning at the synagogue. But then, when the sun had set on Saturday, people can move about again, they all go out and look for Jesus. But they don't do this by themselves. They find Jesus with those who are sick and those who are demon-possessed. The two types of people Mark had just written about here the demon possessed man in the synagogue and Simon's mother in law, who is sick. Mark writes that the whole town assembles at the door. Imagine that, <laughs> right? More people than you can count showing up on your front porch. And Jesus doesn't say, hey, go away. I'm tired. He's, he heals them, he restores them, he drives out evil. And all of this revealed who he was. He was the Messiah. He was who God had sent to rescue his people. Four events, four highlights in 18 verses that revealed the true character of Jesus. He was more than a teacher. He was more than a prophet. He was more than just a rabbi who who invited disciples to follow him. No. He was someone with authority. Jesus revealed his godly authority in four ways. First, by calling disciples. Instead of disciples finding a rabbi, Jesus pursues. He invites people to follow him, to lay down their lives, to to let him be the center instead of themselves. Follow me and I will make you fish for people. We see this in his teaching As the word made flesh, Jesus taught with power and truth. You have heard it said, but I say to you, Jesus reveals his authority by conquering evil in the world. Evil spirits recognize Jesus' power before anyone else. They know they are no match for him. As we read through the gospel of Mark, you're going to see evil spirits beg for mercy from Jesus because he has the power to cast them out authoritatively. And completely. Finally, we see Jesus heal. He brings wholeness. He brings restoration to people. When people meet Jesus, they're not, they're not the same. Throughout the Gospels, we often see physical healing. We see miracles happen. But those were meant to show the people that even more than that, Jesus offers spiritual healing, spiritual healing. Restoration. All the miracles and things Jesus did, they were a stamp of proof. They were authentication. It's me. I am the one God has sent for you. Whenever authority is revealed in the scripture, in our own lives, it provokes a response in us. We can do two things we can either submit to the authority, or we can reject it. As we see Jesus on these pages, how will you respond? Will you submit to him? Or are you going to reject Jesus being at the center of your life? As Jesus taught with authority, as he rebuked evil, as he brought healing, notice the reactions of the people that day. We see two of them. Verse 22, first, they were astonished. And then verse 27, they were amazed. As Jesus did all that he did, we we don't see the word repentance. We don't see faith. We don't see belief in these people. They didn't see Jesus for who he truly was this day. In Mark chapter 8, we're going to be there in about a month or so. After numerous highlights that the disciples had seen, numerous episodes of Jesus displaying his power, Jesus has a conversation with his disciples. He says, hey, who do people say that I am? What are people saying about me? And his disciples answer him. They say, some say you're John the Baptist. Some say you're Elijah. Some say you're just one of the prophets. But then Jesus asks them directly, but what about you? Who do you say that I am? And Simon, one of the first disciples, turns to Jesus and says, You are the Messiah. Over the next few months, that question is going to be before us often. What about you? Who do you say that Jesus is? If you're not yet a Christian, I'm so happy you're here, that you've chosen to worship with us today. I hope that you continue to journey through this gospel with us. But if you're not yet a Christian, what that means is is really you continue to sit at the center of your life. Your life is about your hopes, your desires, love everything else. But when you choose to follow Jesus, to trust in his life, in his death on the cross for your sins, in his resurrection, what you are doing is you are putting your life under his authority. You're moving him to the center. Respond to Jesus by putting your faith in him today. Because the life Christ has for you is the life you were made to live. If you are a Christian, here this morning, if you have done that, my hope that spending time in this gospel is going to renew you. That it's going to be like water on your thirsty soul. That as you read this account and as we see Jesus over and over again, that you're going to be reminded that your life is in his hands. That even though we stumble and we wander in our faith, Jesus continues to be who he is. Who we find him here In his word, the one who called you as a disciple, the one who teaches you, who has power to conquer evil and bring healing and wholeness to you. Where in your life do you need to put yourself under Jesus' authority? Where do you struggle to to believe and align your life with the word of God? Maybe it's besetting sin. Sin you just can't stop doing or or thinking or saying or even believing. Persistent sin in your life that you go to because it provides you with pleasure and comfort in the moment. Sin that continues because you're convinced that it's fulfillment. The fulfillment it brings you will be better than the life God has promised you. Maybe it's apathy that your heart and your faith have grown cold, that you've just stopped caring about what Jesus says or what he thinks, that while you know and believe intellectually what the scriptures say about Jesus, your life and your heart and your decisions, they don't reflect that knowledge. Or maybe it's autonomy, that battle for authority in your own life, That you continue to live your life based on what you want more than what the Savior wants for you. I would encourage you this morning see Jesus clearly, respond in faith to his revealed authority, see his ability to bring healing and wholeness, see his power over evil, see his authoritative word and teaching. And then respond. Respond to his invitation he makes to you. Become a disciple. Choose to follow him. Life as a disciple of Jesus, of living under his authority. That is what we were made for. And it's better than anything else this world offers us. We see Jesus say this very thing in John chapter 10. Verse 10, he says, I have come so that they may have life and have it in abundance. That abundant life is available to us. It's available to the world. And it comes through faith in him. Living under Jesus' revealed authority instead of our own. Let's pray. God, I I first just want to thank you for, for the gospel of Mark. How, God, you show us Jesus so clearly. His character, what he cares about, what he prioritizes. And God, as we just see in these 18 verses... We see Him over and over again. He was God in the flesh, the one who came to save us from our sins. God, as I think about that day in the synagogue, when He taught and he rebuked evil. God, it saddens me that all the people were was amazed. We don't see that they saw him for who he was. But God, I pray that for us this morning, that we can see Jesus for who he is, the word made flesh, the rescuer, the one who has authority given by you to conquer sin. God, over these next few months, as we continue through the gospel of Mark, I pray that seeing Jesus every day, every week, will renew our faith, maybe for the first time, maybe for the hundredth time. But God, help us see this morning how life with him at the center is better than anything else. It's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen.